Hello, my name is Kevin Martin, and I am the field rep here at His Hill. Obviously, I am not the voice of Kelly, but I will be interviewing Kelly Doherty this morning for you guys. And uh, just really glad and, and, and happy that we can do these interviews with everyone and, and get to know things uh, about people and about the, the work the Lord's been doing in, in everyone's lives. Uh, I had no idea Charlie's parents were Colombian drug lords uh, <laughs> from that interview, so you get to learn all sorts of interesting things. Uh, Kelly, you're you're no stranger to his hill, uh, but some people might not know a lot of, of your story. So I thought we would just start out by asking, uh, where did you grow up? Well, okay, Kevin. First, I want to say thank you for for doing this. It would be kind of strange for me to interview myself. Uh, and, and, but I, I appreciate you being willing. Um, and the question, where did I grow up? Uh, well, it's an interesting question. You know, my dad was in retail and so being so he, he was manager of department stores and he was transferred a lot. I was born in Memphis, Tennessee and lived in, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I think it was, it was six different, seven different states, six, uh, I think it was eight or nine different homes before uh, settling, before we finally settled down in uh, Abbeville, Louisiana. Uh, Dad was transferred there from Hewitt, Texas, which is Waco. And uh, he had an, uh, he had options. They, they said, you know, we need to transfer you. You can go to this little town, Abbeville, Louisiana. You can go to Chicago or you can go to Denver. And uh, Dad was real interested in Denver, but but my parents decided that Abbeville would be the best choice because we were closer to family uh, being there. So that's where we moved when I was in second grade, and uh, and and so that's where I grew up. Abbeville, Louisiana. Yeah, that's South Louisiana. It's just south of Lafayette. Okay. Uh, along the coast, so it's right in the middle of this the coastline. We were um, as the crow flies. We were about twelve miles from the coast, but uh, because of being marsh and swamp, uh, we were we were like two hours from the closest beach. So it was, uh, yeah, it, it was a little different area than most, most places in the States. It's uh, right in the heart of Cajun country, which is, um, it's, that, that's the, it's a French-speaking area, at least it used to be. There's still a lot of people who do speak French, but the Cajuns are uh, descendants of French Canadians who uh, moved to that part of Louisiana and uh, mixed with the Spaniards and and uh, the the French and the and uh, the, the Indians of that area, and just are known as Cajuns, and they speak French, and a lot of people know about the Cajun food, uh, and it's uh, but but really, if you really want to experience Cajun food, you you got to go where the Cajuns are, mm. and uh, it's uh, it is good food, but yeah, that's where I grew up from uh, from second grade to twelfth grade before I left the state mm-hmm. the first time. So, so did you grow up with Cajun friends and, and speaking French or Cajun? I, I don't know. It's, it, 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 there's a funny story with that. When we were living in Texas in the Hewitt area, uh, Dad was transferred. So he went first to, to kind of get settled in, find a place for us to live. He came back, and I remember him sitting all of us down and explaining what our new home was going to be like. And the only thing that stuck to me, and I've got to remember, I was, you know, I was six years old, um, the thing that stuck with me was dad saying that er, that it's a French speaking area. And the only thing I heard was that means the Saturday morning cartoons are going to be in French. <laughs> and I panicked. Uh, so, but they, uh, you know, dad, that's a no, no, <laughs> they speak English. Uh, but the, but uh, people did speak French. The older Cajuns did speak French and some of the younger ones too. And uh, they actually tried to keep the French going. They, they taught us French in school, but it just didn't, it, it didn't, it never took. So they're losing that. And it's unfortunate that they are, but they're, they're losing the, the French speaking, but the, the culture is still very much influenced by the, the, the old, older Cajun, um, uh, uh, life. Uh, they were Roman Catholic. So the area that I grew up in is 98. Well, it was 98% Roman Catholic. Um, I attended, my family attended the largest non-Catholic church in our town, and uh, that meant on a good Sunday it was 130 people. Wow. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, the, the, so the Catholic influence was very predominant. Um, 
so my friends were, for the most part, Roman Catholic. Um, and, you know, that was, that was interesting. You know, uh, the church, though it was a small church, it was a really solid church. And uh, the teaching was good. And so we had good, strong fellowship and encouragement. And uh, so there was lots of opportunity to, to witness. And, uh, you know, sometimes, um, sometimes that was taken advantage of by myself, and sometimes I did a poor job of it. Uh, but uh, it, was, uh, it was a good childhood. Uh, my parents, very godly people. My brother loved the Lord, still does. And, uh, and we, um, uh, so we had, you know, it was a great family unit to grow up in. The church was very strong. Like I said, our youth pastor was, uh, was wonderful. He was, you know, one of our best friends. Uh, he complimented my parents in, in you know, those formative years uh, in it, with his influence in our life. Uh, to this day, you know, it's, you know, I can still see his influence uh, in my life. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's kind of what it was like. You know, it was, it was, it was different. It was really different, you know, than, than most people. Uh, any other place I've ever been, uh, really, you know, and, and I've had, you know, the, I've, I've had the experience of traveling to different parts of the world, living in different parts of the world, and, you know, it was, it was different, yeah, it was really different, and, uh, and, and mostly because, I, I think, because of the Roman Catholic influence in the area, um, there was, uh, there, the, you know, with, with that, and I, I may step on some toes here, and I'm not meaning to. It's just my observation and what I saw is that there was, um, you know, the I also have taught church history, and I know that the history of the Roman Catholic Church is that the 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 church does all the thinking for you, and you know you don't you don't question the church's teaching, and for a long time you didn't you didn't read the Bible. They read the Bible and told you what it said. Um, and I can remember after we moved there that they had just st- just recently started uh, their mass in English and no longer in Latin, and they allowed the, the people to read the Bible. And I can remember some of the older Catholics were upset about that. You know, they, they didn't like that change. Um, but that being the case, we could see the same attitudes uh, throughout society in that area where... Um, you know, it, it, you only, it, how do I say this? Um, I found that because th- they're, they're taught that the church teaches you how to think, it, it, it overflowed into society as well. They taught you how to, they dictated how to think, you know, with, with just all of life, not just within their church. And uh, because of that, there was a lot of um, th- there were a lot of obstacles for the for we few evangelicals in in and in, in just living with them and being able to uh, to identify with them. And I still see that you know we we moved back recently for a few years. I think you want to talk about that a little later. But we um, th- there is there's a growing evangelical presence in that area, but. We're finding that it's a uh, it, it's a it's a little different. I used to think well, it's 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 maybe an immature presence, and I talked with several pastors about it, and they said, "Yeah, they understand what I'm saying," but they said it's it's not so much immature as much as emotional. And I thought, "Yeah, you're right. That's 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 interesting. You know, it's just there's so many of the Roman Catholics were are are getting saved and they're coming into the evangelical churches, but they're still." Um, they're 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 young in Christ, and so there there's more of an emotion to everything, and not so much, you know, just really being immersed in the Word and 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 responding to what the Lord's saying from the Word. So while you know it's encouraging, there's a growing presence of evangelicalism. Uh, there's there's still a little bit of a struggle, you know, with having to overcome some of that with with, with switching over. Anyway, I probably stepped on some toes there, and I'm, I apologize if I mischaracterized any of that, but that was my observation. I'm interested how, how your parents moving to Louisiana, and, and you have this influence of, of the Roman Catholic Church, and the Cajun influence, 
and how they as, as parents raised you guys to um, encounter that, that outside influence to where the church is kind of telling you, we do the thinking for you. Society is telling you, we do the thinking for you. And, and then you have uh, a Christian family like, like y'all living in Louisiana. Uh, how did they deal with that? How did they talk to you guys about that? Well, you know, how did our parents talk with us about that? They, they did some praying. Uh, you know, there, there, there was some hesitation from them in moving into the area. You know, as far as, you know, where to go to school, um, you know, the influence that we would have, you know, uh, it's a rough, it, growing up there was a really rough area. Um, it was, uh, now, and I'm painting it as just this horrible, dark place, but I, I want, you know, people to know that it was a wonderful childhood, and we had great friends. You know, we were, um, you know, growing up in school, you know, my friends, majority of them were Roman Catholic, but they were just, you know, they were good friends, you know, so good people. Uh, but there was, you know, my parents' concern over the influence of Catholicism, you know, over, you know, that, you know, it just doesn't, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, this is one of those things we want to be very careful with, you know, so much in, among evangelicals, we don't want to offend. But, you know, sometimes truth is offensive. Uh, but we need to, but so, but that doesn't mean that we're not to be loving um, so we need the Lord's wisdom and how to present truth, even if it's going to be offensive. And so my parents did a lot of praying, you know, they didn't know, you know, what, you know, where, we, where should we go to school? Uh, we, because it was a, a rough area too. in that it, uh, the area I grew up in, well, first of all, our, our insurance rates were double the like car insurance, driving insurance was double there than any other place in the country for teenage boys. Mm. Um, the local university, they, there used to be this uh, poll that was conducted for, you know, finding the, the, the biggest party school in the country. This university was winning the thing <laughs> year after year after year, and they just stopped doing this. They just stopped doing the poll. Um, the, Beer consumption in the area I grew up in was second in the world. In the world. In the world. I mean, I've offended people from Milwaukee <laughs> in saying this. I'm sorry. These are the facts <laughs> that it was second in the world to one city in Germany. Uh, so this was, you know, this was a party area. And to a large extent, it still is. So moving into it, there was some hesitation from my parents. But then... And after praying about it and talking about it, and I think that if I remember right, they also went to our pastor and talked with him about it. They decided that this is where the Lord put us. We need to trust him. Mm. And, uh, and they, they put us into the, the public school system. They were involved in our lives. They were uh, very loving parents. You know, I, earliest memories I have of my dad, you know, as a small boy, you know, reading the Bible to us. I remember my brother and I laying on both sides of Dad as he would read the Bible to us. Um, and Dad would witness to people at the drop of a hat. Uh, and, and it was, you know, as a kid, that's embarrassing. You know, sometimes Dad would witness in the, not here, Dad, please, no, not here. <laughs> but, you know, I'm so thankful that he did that, you know, that I have those pictures in my mind. Um, and he would, you know, he had no problem telling people about Jesus. My mother, I remember when I was 12 years old, I walked in. No, no, I was younger than that. I was much younger than that. I was probably seven or eight. And um, I remember walking into the living room and just being scared to death because mom had the living room full of teenage girls. You know, that's the last <laughs> thing. <laughs> the most terrifying yeah, thing in the world. That's the worst thing for a seven, eight-year-old, right? But she had them in there in the room, and I remember they were, they were just packed into the living room. And she had them there to lead them, lead them through a Bible study. Uh, and th so these were things that, that I grew up seeing. My mom, uh, you know, m my dad nicknamed her Sweet Marie because that's just who she was. You know, she was just incredible. I mean, she was just such a giving, loving person. And, uh, and th that was my example. So I had this man uh, who was just, just loved the Lord and didn't care who knew it, always in the Word. I had this mother who was always in the Word and who was just real sweet and sharing and caring. And I had a brother who was very, you know, very firm in his beliefs, too. Uh, you know, growing up, he was, um, he was offered a scholarship to play football. 
um, university football, Division One, in his freshman year of high school. You know, wow. he was, you know, he was very gifted, and he was, uh, but that didn't go to his head. Uh, you know, he was, he liked football, he would play it, but he decided his junior year that, you know, football's become my life. This is ridiculous. He said he looked at a, a calendar and realized that out of 12 months, he had something like three weeks off from football. And he thought, this is ridiculous. You know, I'm, I'm 17 years old. This is nuts. So he took a year off. And in doing so, he forfeited the scholarship because, uh, because of his size. That was one of the that was the the stipulation the university had placed on him. The recruiter had is that you have to play all four years of high school. They wanted mm. him to get as much experience as possible. Mm. So he just gave it up, walked away from it. Coaching staff was mad. His friends thought he was nuts. You know, and his brother thought he was nuts. <laughs> uh, but then he came back his senior year and he had a great year and enjoyed it and and you know never looked back. But the thing that that's just how he was. He would debate theology in the hallways with the other students, and uh, and so I mean this was this was what I grew up in. <laughs> uh, and so our parents were very very involved, and uh, and and our like I said, our youth pastor very involved. Our church was very strong. Um, it was there for the first time I heard the message that Christ is your life, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we heard it from our pastor who brought Major Thomas in, and, uh, you know, we heard him. We had other torchbearer speakers come in. So really, you know, the long way around to answer your question, it was really the Lord that, that, that took us through, protected us, guided us, used us, um, and, and grew us in that situation. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it's, a lot of the evangelical pastors would tell you that that area, the time I was growing up in it, was a mission field. You know, so it was a really different place in the states to grow up. But it was—I I had a wonderful childhood. I have no complaints. You know, the Lord used all of that, and uh, and I'm very thankful for that. Wow. Yeah. What what a testimony. I I know that some people look at their lives and and they say, I I was raised in a Christian family. I, I don't have any testimony, but I, I think what a blessing for you, your parents, your brother to, to be raised in a family that just looks to, to Jesus mm-hmm. in, in all things. And, and a brother who would realize, wow, my, my life is being taken over by something other than Jesus. And at that age, say, I don't need this. Mm-hmm. I need him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what an encouragement. Uh, yeah, and I don't want to paint the picture that, my, that Paul and I were perfect kids. You know, we... Uh, he was a better kid than I was, but, uh, we, uh, you know, we had our moments and, but, but yeah, but I, I, I hear what you're saying and I, and I praise the Lord because he did protect us. He did, you know, despite us, <laughs> you know, he would use us and despite us, he would grow us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, although I, I, I know Paul would say this too, that though we didn't truly understand that Christ is our life, um, we were saved. And, and, and the Lord was, you know, he who begins a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And he was in the process of, and still is in the process of completing it. And so, you know, the Lord is faithful and, and we, uh, you know, sometimes we want to come up with answers. We want to come up with, uh, you know, formulas and, and all of that's just really a waste, you know, because the Lord is the one that's, that's active in this relationship and he is faithful. Amen. And Kelly, so you've, you've told us a little bit of, of where you've grown up, your family, your, your parents and your brother and how you guys were raised. I, and I'm wondering, how does a, a guy that's living in Abbeville, Louisiana, end up at his hill? Yeah, that is a good question. Okay, I had, um, I'll come back, hopefully if I don't forget, I'll come back to this later, but I'll just say this, that one time I'm walking down the hallway in my, um, in my house, the house we grew up in. Dad stops me in the hallway. I know right where we were uh, when he did it. And he says, son, I would love to see you become a preacher. And I looked at dad and I said, I don't want to. No <laughs> way. You know, I was more interested in music. I said, dad, I'm, I, I'll, you know, I'll be involved. I, I'm looking at, you know, I'm, I'm thinking maybe music ministry. You know, I'll be, you know, the, uh, vocational ministry with music. 
And uh, back then we called them music directors or, you know, or maybe a music pastor, you know, but now it's, it's worship pastor and all. But anyway, uh, I, I, I had no desire to, to be a preacher. Uh, we were involved in, in church life, very involved. And, uh, you know, we were involved in the youth group, we were involved in the Bible studies, the youth choir, and, uh, and summer camps and mission trips. You know, whatever was going on, we were, we were involved in that. And uh, Dad had met Major Thomas. He wanted, he came back from, uh, go, from going to a meeting where Major was and having met him, he came back and he said, boys, I would love for you to go to summer camp at his hill. And my brother and I looked at him, and we said, no, are you kidding me? You know, we, we're going to a camp now that has carpeted floors, air condition, a real gym with wood <laughs> floors. Uh, we have a, um, uh, we can have Coke for breakfast if we want it, and I did, so I did. Uh, you, know, it, you know, why in the world would we want to go to the middle of Texas and sleep in these cabins without air condition? Now, why would we want to do that? That didn't make sense. So that gives you a little bit of insight that we were not perfect kids. Um, and that's, a, I mean, a little bit of insight. I mean, when I say we weren't perfect, we, we did have our moments. Um, but we had no choice. Two years later, our youth pastor decided he was going to bring the youth group to his hill. So we had no choice. We had to come. Uh, so before, we, before he made the final decision, he brought three of us. Uh, with him out here for a Thanksgiving conference just to kind of scout the place out to see if this is really what we were going to do. And I remember driving up the hill, and you got to remember, this was 1982, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Driving up the hill, you know, the, 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 the hill was only eight years old. His hill, Torchbearers being here only for eight years. Property is older than that. And we drive up this hill, and, and I mean, all the buildings at that time were chocolate brown, red roofs. There was no grass. Uh, and we pulled up, and I remember before we even went through the entrance, I'm looking at this, and I literally had this thought, what a dump. And I, I, I didn't want anything to do with it. And uh, we got out, and I met um, Charles Price. He was speaking that week. And uh, we, we visited with some of the staff. And, and about two hours later, uh, we were up at camp, and we were looking the place over, and we were in one of the cabins. And I remember hanging on one of the Joyce's, just hanging there, and looking down at my youth pastor. And, all that, and, and the only thing that we had experienced to this point were... Uh, we we talked with staff and maybe some students. And J.C. Ellender, who was in charge of the horses, took us on a trail ride. That was all. We just had this experience of meeting people. And I looked down at our youth pastor, and I just said, man, we've got to come here. You know, the, the Lord was already working in my heart just Whoa. through these people. What a change. Yeah. You know, it was, there was something, there was something really attractive. So we came to camp, and uh, so I was a camper here, and um, then from that influence, I, I decided, you know, maybe I should go to Bible school. And my dad, you know, dad always, you know, he, was, he wasn't pushing this. I don't even think he had ever said anything about it, but, you know, he, he liked that idea. I didn't know it. He was actually here the second summer that I was here, and uh, he was, uh, he and I both, I was too old the second year to be a counselor, I mean, to be a camper. So I was a sponsor. I, br- I helped bring the, the, the youth group out. So I had a lot of free time. And I'm just thinking about this. And I went down to the swimming pool where Dad was. And uh, he's just swimming around. And I just said, Dad, I think maybe I should come to Bible school. And he stopped. And started, he looked over at me, he's just treading water, had this big grin on his face. And he says, son, I think that's a good idea. He was, he was waiting for that. Oh, boy, was he, he was excited. And then he said, and son, I'll pay for it. And I said, dad, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> uh, so that's how we ended up coming to Bible school. I was, um, 
I was accepted already at the local university, the, the party school that I had talked about. I was already accepted there. And my plan was to go there, get a degree in music, and then I'd go to seminary, and then I would go into a vocational music ministry. That was my plan. And uh, <laughs> I, I still was wondering, should I be going to Bible school? Should I keep with my plan here? And so I went ahead and applied to his hill. But it was only three weeks till school started. And so I, I, I until thought, university started. No, till his hill started. His and hill. I thought, well, you know, what's the chances of getting in? It's only it's three weeks before it gets started. You know, and you know, I didn't understand, you know, that you know how it all works in torchbearers. You know, if there's beds, <laughs> and and you don't have a prison record, you're probably going to get in. But uh, but and and just for the listeners, those of you who are not alumni, just so you know, we actually don't accept everybody that applies. It just kind of feels like that. But uh, but anyway, we. Um, I went out to the mailbox one day, and I pulled two envelopes out of the mailbox. One is from His Hill. It's an acceptance letter to His Hill. And the other was an invitation from the university to the campus-wide beer bash. So I'm standing there looking at these two, (laughs) and I'm thinking, I'm not real bright, but I I think I hear what you're saying, Lord. And so (laughs) I I came to His Hill, and it it, it was a... you know, like, like most of our students say, it was, you know, an incredible year. It was a transforming year for me. Um, I heard a lot of teaching that was, was piercing, but I wasn't grasping everything that was being said. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember that, you know, I, to, I told you earlier that I heard Major Thomas speak in our church. I remember sitting there and listening to him and thinking to myself, this is really good. But why is this so good? He's talking about the same God and the same Jesus. He's reading from the same Bible. Why is this so good? And I had the same thought when I was a camper. I remember sitting there listening to one of our speakers. I remember where I remember where I was sitting and thinking, this is really good, but why is it so good? Same God, same Jesus, same Bible. And then when I came to Bible school, I remember sitting, I was in the back corner, and it was toward the end of the year, and I'm just looking at the speaker and thinking to myself, "What? A, this has been an incredible year. This teaching has just been so rich, but why is it so good? They're talking about the same God and the same Jesus, and now they're even reading from the same version of the Bible that I have. Why is this so good? I, was, I put my faith in Christ when I was nine years old. I understood then that I could not save myself. And I, you know, I remember asking Dad about, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian? And Dad just taking the, his time to explain this to me. And, and so I entrusted my life to Christ when I was nine. I remember being so excited about it. Uh, I couldn't wait to get to school to tell my friends. But that excitement went away pretty quick. And I spent the next 13 years frustrated, mm-hmm. you know, trying to achieve that excitement again, trying to know it, you know, reading my Bible every night, um, going to all the Bible studies, going to church, you know, going on the mission trips, being a part of the youth choir, you know, all these things, but never, and, 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 you know, there was always moments of, you know, you know, oh, this is wonderful. But then right away it's gone. And they're like, you know, what is this? And, and then going to Bible school, I started to hear something and I, I my terminology changed. I started to say things like Christ has to live in you and through you. But I had no idea what I was saying. Mm. You know, I didn't, I didn't see it as being any different than anything else I had. You know, I'd always, you know, I, I knew my Bible, but I always interpreted it as a, it was more like a, a how-to manual than a who will live story. And, you know, if I, okay, if I, I need to be like Jesus, so how can I be like Jesus? Okay, well, I, I got to do this and I got to do that. And, and uh, I didn't know it, but I was just slowly wearing myself out. And, uh, so, you know, I'm, I left his hill, you know, teaching. Christ has to live in you and through you. I remember teaching a youth group that when, when I was living in Canada where I went to Bible college. And I remember the youth pastor's wife coming to me and saying, Kelly, that was so clear. And I said, well, that's, you know, that's great. And I was thinking to myself, well, yeah, all right. And, uh, but I had no idea what I was saying. You know, it was, it, it was just a terminology change. There, there, there wasn't really a, a heart change yet. Mm. Uh, I was still, I was living by faith but I was living by faith in me to be like Jesus and not living by faith in Christ to be who he is. 
Um, but anyway, anyway, that was, and I kind of got away from it a little bit. That's how we ended up, how I ended up coming to Bible school here. And, uh, and I met my wife here. You know, that was, uh, that was an interesting story. Uh, I came in fall. She came in winter. And so at the end of the fall term, uh, we were, I was in my dorm, Bethel. And for those of you who know where Bethel was, I hate to say was, but it's no longer there. It's one of the, one of the dorms that's gone now. But uh, I was in Bethel with my roommates, and one of the students came running into our dorm. He said, guys, the pictures of the new students are up. And every one of us in the room knew that meant the pictures of all the new girls are up. <laughs> so we, we jumped out. We raced down the road and, and, uh, and over the hilltop. I was the first one in the office, and I got to the bulletin board, and I saw this picture right in the middle of the bulletin board. And I just thought, and, and I was a really shy guy. I'm still very shy. I don't know what came over me, but I remember looking at that picture and I said, I'm going after her. Um, and and I had the, that picture in my mind, too, for the whole Christmas break. I couldn't wait to get back and to, <laughs> and to, to meet her. And and I did. I met her and I, uh, you know, I was very bold. I mean, I've never been like that. And uh, uh, and so we got to know each other. And so it's, and I'm making a long story very short here. But we. Um, we got to know each other, and uh, she is, uh, you know, Arlene. She's from Abbotsford, and so I found out there was a Bible college in Abbotsford, and I ended up going there. And uh, you know, so we got to know each other and, and even more, and we, we ended up getting married. We were uh, 19 and 20. We were very young. Wow. Yeah, and uh, so we got married, and then we raised each other. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a little, it was, uh, it's been a wonderful marriage. We just celebrated our 35th anniversary. Congratulations. And thank you. And uh, we have two girls, Lauren and Madeline. And uh, Madeline is now married to Tylan. We have a wonderful son-in-law. And uh, you know, But it all started right here, meeting at his hill. Kelly, just going back a little bit, you said it wasn't until after your time at Bible school, maybe even after your time at the Bible college there, you'd been working in a youth group, that you, you kind of figured out that you were living by faith in, in yourself, yeah, and and I was wondering, was that the same case for for Arlene, or did Bible school was that a year where she just really discovered that? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, um, what what happened to me was in in college. Um, and, and to, first of all, to answer your question quickly, and then to give you more detail on it, no, Arlene did not um, understand either. She was in the same boat I was. You know, she was saved. She had placed her faith in Christ, but she was trusting herself to live the Christian life. And uh, we we were both in Canada. I was going to Bible college. I graduated, and I started to look for a a position, and couldn't find one. I was really frustrated. Um, you know, I I was that kid that you know I I. I, I tell, when I give my testimony, when I go places, I, I tell them, I usually start off by saying, I am, I became what so many Christians try to become. And I, I was good. I was really a good person. I had my moments, you know, I wasn't perfect. I did some stupid stuff, but for the most part, I was a good person. And you know, I, I was the one that went to church all the time. I was active in the youth group. I was regularly reading my Bible. I went to Bible school. I mean, my friends couldn't understand why in the world I was doing that. And then I went to Bible college. Uh, and it was, you know, you know, Romans eight twenty eight. You know, God causes all things to work together for good. You know, and and so I, I'm continually looking for that good. And uh, Without realizing it, I was, I was getting more and more frustrated, and more and more worn out, until it became very apparent to me that that's what had happened to me. After college, I couldn't find a position anywhere. I I was on the phone trying to find positions. I sent resumes out. I knocked on doors. I mean, I literally knocked on uh, on a door to talk to somebody about this and uh, about getting a position, and um, nothing was available. And I was just so frustrated, you know, to live a life that I had been living of being good and trying so hard to be good and actually being a good person and it not, it, it just, and I'm just a failure and I can't, 
I was so burned out by this. It was Christmas time, and um, Arlene and I flew down to Louisiana, flew to Houston. My parents picked us up uh, for the Christmas break. And we were coming back home. Uh, Dad, Mom and Dad dropped us off at the airport, and that was before all the terrorist stuff, so everybody could go through uh, security back then. You know, a lot of people don't realize that now, but, but, but there was a time when all of us could just go through, and people would just do that. I mean, you didn't need a ticket. If you just wanted to go to the airport and go walk around, you could do it. Um, so everybody went through security, and we're all standing at the gate, and the, they made the announcement, final boarding call. And I was just so overwhelmed with having to, you know, we had a vacation was ending. And, you know, this time of, you know, you're kind of just checking out, you know, your brain checking out and just resting had come to an end. And I was just so overwhelmed by the whole thing. Something happened to me that I think most men are petrified will happen to them. I started to cry in a public place. Mm. I couldn't stop it. I didn't know how it started. And I couldn't shut it off. I was embarrassed. You know, I'm here I'm in front of this godly man, my dad, and I'm just bawling. I mean, I was bawling, just sobbing, and it was embarrassing. So I turned away from him. But I'm in an international airport, and people everywhere I turned, people are looking at me like, what in the world? And I kept turning. I'd, I'd actually turned in a full circle trying to get, a, trying to find <laughs> some, some privacy. And finally, the safest place was just face dad. Mm-hmm. And he put his hand up on my shoulder and, and just asked, son, what is wrong? And I had a hard time articulating it. So what I said is, Dad, I don't know. All I know is I don't want to do anything. And, I mean, this was coming from deep down. Uh, I had been doing since I was nine years old. Mm. I'm trying to do right, do right, do good, do this, do that. And I didn't want to do anything. And I didn't even want, I told him, I don't even want to get on that plane. I don't want to do that. I was just wasted. I quit talking because there were some other things I wanted that was going on in my heart, but I didn't want to say that out loud to them because it was my wife and my parents and it would just devastate them. But I just told the Lord, I don't want this life anymore. I don't want Christianity. I've tried it for 13 years. I'm finished. It doesn't work. You know, uh, Bob Hobson, former Torchbearer speaker, used to tell us anytime Jesus becomes an it, you're in trouble. And, And that's what had happened to me. And I said, it doesn't work. I don't want it, God. You can have it. I quit. I will keep. I I will keep my salvation. I mean, this you know this just the stupidity of how we think sometimes. I will keep my salvation because heaven sounds better than hell. Mm. And I will continue to go to church because if I stop that, my family will flip out. But I'm done. And, you know, the Lord was just like, about time. Hmm. You know, I've been, and I think really this is what happens to all believers. Um, You know, some of us go kicking and screaming like I did. And others don't have to have as big of a breakdown. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, we look at Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11. And it wasn't until he was as good as dead that the Lord had him in a place where he could start to use him then. And uh, and I think that's where I was. He had brought me to this place where I was as good as dead. I can't. And I got on the plane. I had a copy of The Saving Life of Christ. Now, the reason I had that, and this, is tell, this will just tell you how pathetic I was in being good. The only reason I had it, my brother told me I need to read it again. So I thought, well, okay. So I, I grabbed it. But I saw that the old, the old edition had Christ on the, the saving life of Christ, and Christ was in great big letters, red letters. And I had heard all these stories of people who were in the ministry who had told about witnessing to people in airplanes. And I didn't have one of those stories, so I figured I needed to get one. Hmm. I mean, that's how pathetic my effort was. So that's why I had the thing. So somebody maybe would see Christ written on the book and ask me a question. Well, the reason, and I've always wondered about this, you know, why am I reading this book after I just went through what I went through out in, in the airport, you know, quitting Christianity? And I think the only reason it was is because there was nothing else to do. 
Uh, you know, we didn't have the cell phones and the iPads then. You know, you couldn't watch, you know, your own movie or, you know, you couldn't listen to your music that way. And it was either read The Saving Life of Christ or read the Sky Mall magazine. <laughs> and I had read that years before. And I tell you, every time you read that thing, it's the same thing, you know. So I thought, I'll read the book. And I got to page 16, and Major Thomas says that God is limited. And that phrase grabbed my attention. God is limited? That's bad theology. You know, why this bothered me, I don't know. But I'm just thinking, that's, that's bad theology. You know, that's not, that's not what I learned in one of your schools. And it's not what I learned in college. It's not what I found in Scripture. God's not, no, he's not limited. And I think, I was just enjoying just arguing with the man. Mm. And years later, I told him about it, and he thought it was hilarious that I sat there and had an argument with him. You know, and... But the next phrase, he says that God is limited according to the measure of my availability to all that he makes available to me. And I had to read that again. God is limited according to the measure of my availability to all that he makes available to me. And then he backs it up with Colossians 2, where he says, uh, this is in uh, verse 9, in him... In Christ, all the fullness of deity, all of God. So in Christ, all of God is found in bodily form. And in him, in whom you find all of God, you have been made complete. Verses 9 and 10. And that that just shook me to realize that in Christ, I have been made complete. Not by me adding anything to it, not by all the good things that I do, but I have been made complete. It is finished in Christ. All that is of true of God is found in Christ who is in all of me. I'm made complete. And it was like somebody kicked me in the backside, turned the lights on, ripped the blindfold off. I couldn't believe this. And I, I looked over to Arlene. I said, Arlene, look. And she read it and she looked at me and she said, well, yeah. And I remember thinking, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> but the thing was, that she didn't understand either. She, she was at that same point that I had been at, where it was just a change in terminology. Just recently, uh, or, or just soon after that, we did end up in a position. I was an associate pastor in a church in Louisiana. And uh, it was a trial, a big trial. Uh, there was some, I, I, I don't want to go into it, but there was some major major problems in that church and uh th th there was gross immorality and we didn't know about it before we got there uh i was the only pastor on staff um i was 23 years old um the they had been looking for a pastor for two years had 12 men say no to them uh, when we finally did get a pastor, he was another young man. He was 35. I'm 23. We didn't know what we'd gotten ourselves into. We would go to conferences and we'd shake hands with other pastors. They'd ask us where we're from. As soon as we'd say the name of the church, their faces would drop from a smile to just deadpan. Mm, so I mean, every, everybody, everybody, I mean, he and I look at each other and think we are the only ones that were in the dark on this. And so it was, it was a real trial. And it doesn't mean that there weren't good people there, but there were some dark things going on there. And um, it was so wearing on Arlene. We took our youth group to listen to Bob Hobson. I'd mentioned him earlier. He was, he was uh, speaking for the week in my home church, and uh, we took the kids there to listen to him. And Arlene got all of the tapes for, for that week. Tells you how far back this is. She had to get tapes. And uh, you, might, you might have to explain what those yeah, are. cassette tapes. Yeah, before we could stream music, we had these things called CDs, and before CDs, we had these things called tape. Uh, but uh, she was listening to these, and she would listen to them all the time. I came home from the office one day, I walk in, she's sewing in the back room. I said, Hi, and she says, Shh. Oh my goodness, and she presses stop and rewind and play again. I mean, she was listening intently to these things. 
And in that, she was coming to realize, as Bob was explaining, the same truth, that Christ is your life, not someone to imitate in your own strength, but someone to allow to live in and through you by faith, trusting him. You know, Colossians 2, 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord by faith, so walk in him by faith. And it's faith in Christ, not faith in you. And uh, Arlene came to the same realization. And uh, it was an incredible th- experience, you know. And then both of us on the same page like this uh, was wonderful. And the Lord used, and it was dark. It was a dark place to be, but the Lord used us there. And incredible things happened. I mean, that would be actually a whole nother podcast, but it would, incredible, incredible things happened there. And, um, and at the end of all of it, Charlie called and asked if we'd like to come to his hill. On staff? Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, I had met Charlie once, and we had a great time together. We had, we'd gone out to eat, and we had a great conversation, and didn't know I was actually talking to the man that would be one of my closest friends, you know, and, uh, but uh, he, he, I didn't know this, but for two years, he was looking for an opportunity to bring me on staff, and when a position opened, he, he moved on it, but let me tell you what the position was. It was the registrar, the Bible school secretary position. And it wasn't for me. It was for Arlene. So he called. He says, Kelly, I've got a question. What do you think about bringing Arlene on staff as a registrar? And we'll just find something for you to do. (laughs) I thought, yes. These two years have been, you know, they were wonderful years there, but it was, it was wearing, it was, it was trying, you know, and I was ready, you know, if the Lord's moving us on, I am ready to go somewhere and to come to his hill. Yes. So we came and Arlene was the registrar and I was the utility member of staff, you know, whatever you needed. My first office was across the street in the, in the craft room. The craft room. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the the back, there's a, a little it was a big closet type thing in the back. And, uh, and that used to be used. There was a radio show that his hill used to, to do. And, uh, and that was the recording room for it. Uh, so there was, there's ceiling tile all over the place. And, uh, so that was my office for the first while, uh, first few months, the little closet. Yeah. In the yeah. I was in the closet. Shot. I could, I couldn't have been more happy too. And there was no air condition. I did not care. Um, we had, did have a phone there that was connected to the office uh, so that was my first, that was, that was it. That was the, that was my position here. I would just find something for me to do. And, uh, so I did teach, I taught the book of James and, uh, and then I think I did the epistles of John. Uh, but, uh, and things developed from there. We would, we were here for 23 years. 23 years. Yeah. yeah. We had a choir for 10 of those years and that was awesome. We enjoyed that. Uh, but then when the kids came along, Arlene started homeschooling. And, uh, and my responsibilities were growing. Uh, something had to go. So we stopped the full-time choir. And we just did um, like Thanksgiving choirs and, and special occasion type stuff. But uh, so, yeah, we were 23 years. I was the principal for um, 14 of those years. And uh, it was my dream job. I, I, people would ask me, you know, from the, from the first time we got here, from early on, so, you know, you know, what, what, what do you, what do you see yourself going? I was thinking, where do I want to go anywhere? Mm. You know, I'm just, my plan was to die here and, uh, you know, the, uh, just grow old. You know, what are they going to do with me? You know, they can't, they're not going to kick me out on the street. So that find something <laughs> you know, they take care of me somehow. I'm just staying. And, uh, we've got a cemetery here. So I thought, yeah, we're good. Good to go. Um, but yeah, the, the Lord changed that after 23 years. You've, you've mentioned your, your kids a, a few times and, and I was wondering, what role, how, how did God use them in, in y'all's life to, to bring you back to, to him, to teach you uh, about this life that you, you have in, in him? Uh, both of the girls, you know, they, they've just gotten so numb to it, they just accept it. But th- there are endless illustrations that I've used um, in, in teaching and preaching with the truths that the Lord's taught me with the girls. Um, just their... their uh, their trust and dependence on us as parents, you know, that, that's, that was incredible. And I can say but with something about both of the girls, that, that never have they been a problem. 
you know, uh, I don't want to paint the picture that they were perfect kids. You know, they, they did get spankings. They did get disciplined. Um, but they were never a major problem in any way, not one minute. Um, they both came to know the Lord at young ages, and they, they have both grown in the Lord. And, and the Lord has used them now to challenge me. Uh, and Arlene as well. You know, we're just blown away by the the maturity that they they display, and they have challenged us in how we run our business now, um, and and just how we associate with others. Um, they, you know, they they've been a big blessing to us, and uh, yeah, the Lord's used them in so many ways, and they yeah been a big blessing. At the, at the end of that, you you had mentioned right before talking about your kids that you guys were here for, was it 23 years? 23, yeah. And you guys made a pretty hard decision to move back to Louisiana for, for a time. Yeah, uh, it was a surprise decision for us, actually. Surprise, okay. Yeah, uh, we, like I said, we were very content. Um, we just didn't ever really, I just never really thought we'd ever be anywhere else. I, uh, we had been to the staff conference in England that year, and uh, that was in 2013. And I just remember just thinking how, you know, blessed and grateful I am to be a part of this ministry. And I, I'm just, this is it. You know, this is where I'll be. And uh, we came home that summer, and the Lord started to work in my heart. Uh, and I, I couldn't believe this. I was considering, um, you know, maybe we need to leave. And it's not that, you know, to, to full disclosure, and I, a lot of staff go through this. You know, you're always wondering, do I need to leave? You know, there's the seasons of that. You know, where it comes comes to and but this one was, uh, this one wouldn't go away. And I talked to Charlie about it, and uh, Arlene and I had talked to my parents about it. And see, my dad had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and uh, we. We went back home to visit, just kind of, you know, just praying through this and looking the situation over. And driving home, I we were driving still in Louisiana, and I just told Arlene, you know, Arlene, I think the Lord's making something clear to me that this move is it's not about this or that; it's about my dad. And Arlene looked at me and right away and said, "Yes, I agree." And so we believed that that's, you know, the Lord would have us go home and help take care of my dad. Uh, so I, uh, I talked with Charlie about it, we talked with the elders at the church, and, you know, we had confirmation from them as well. So anyway, we, we decided we needed, to, um, we needed to leave. And that was a, that was a shock. It was a surprise. It happened quick. Uh, all in that, you know, that summer, we were, you know, just so happy being part of Torchbearers till, you know, in that fall, changing our minds and getting ready to move. So we met, we, we moved in 2014, and uh, my mother, within the first six months, ended up with chronic kidney failure. Uh, and she was, her kidneys were functioning at 9%. I didn't even know that was possible, you know, to not know it. Uh, but the doctor told her that mom had uh, had almost died when she was 12. Uh, her kidneys had given her a problem. And the doctor said his, his assumption was that, they, that she never fully recovered. And it was continuing to get bad, get worse. And she was, throughout her life, was always adjusting to the new normal. So by the time it was, it was functioning at 9%, she didn't realize you know, it was just, you know, it's these things she's feeling, just things she deals with. So she went in for a regular checkup and found out this was the case. And the, uh, the nurse practitioner called me and said, I need to get my mom into the hospital now. Well, we were on vacation. So my brother, they called my brother, and he got her into the hospital within the hour. And that started the process. You know, she was on dialysis three times a week for about five years, and then she decided herself, I'm doing two times a week, and the doctor was fine with that. Um, but she, uh, 
it turned out that, you know, we were spending really more of our time helping mom than dad. Uh, so it was just confirmation to us that we needed to be there. And then in June of last year, uh, mom passed away. Uh, it was in the right at the beginning of all the COVID stuff. So, you know, the, it was, it was difficult because, you know, she's in the hospital. They wouldn't let us in. Uh, they would let us in, but we go to go, we, we, we all arrive to go in, but you know, they say, no, you can't go in. You know, the communication within, with the staff was something else. And Finally, two of the doctors found out what was going on, and they just put their foot down and said, they're coming in. And uh, so we got to be with mom when she passed away. Okay. It was a miracle that we could be there uh, because everybody knows what, you know, what the regulations have been for COVID. But we were there. Um, she was not conscious, but she was aware of our presence. Um, it was really interesting. You know, she was, my brother was, we, we were there praying and singing. And uh, I, uh, my brother's watching the monitor and it was slowing down and it was just about to zero. And I reached underneath the blanket, put my hand on her arm and Arlene reached underneath and put her hand, held her hand. And my brother said, oh my goodness. And the numbers shot back up and she stayed with us for a little while. The medical staff told us they believed that she could hear. She knew we were there. Um, so, you know, we're thankful for that. Uh, we all got to say goodbye to her. Um, and the funeral was unbelievable, uh, you know, because COVID and all that was going on, we, we streamed it. A hundred people came to the funeral. Restrictions had been lifted, uh, in Louisiana, uh, to a certain extent, but we couldn't believe a hundred people showed up, but it was almost a thousand that watched online. And, uh, and so many given testimony to, that the theme was sweet Marie and, uh, and just how the Lord had worked in her heart and had shown himself through her and, uh, the testimonies of, of people writing in posting, cause you know, it was interesting with COVID going on, there was, people could actually comment, you know, of what's going on. And so many people talking about how that was true, how she was so sweet that this is how, what the Lord had done with her and how he had used her. So it was a great encouragement to us. And, um, after the funeral, uh, we decided, you know, the Lord just gave us confirmation. Again, my family, my brother, you know, confirming with it. No, it's, it's, uh, it's time to leave. So we sold the house and we moved back to Texas. Uh, we live in comfort now. And uh, we brought dad out with us. He lives in a, a private home. I, I didn't know anything like this was possible. Uh, but we, he was, it, it, things had gotten so hard with him and taking care of mom too, that, uh, we had to put him in assisted living in Louisiana, which was, it was a good place, but we found doesn't compare to where he is now. He's with a Christian family and it's their ministry to take care of the elderly and the sick. And during COVID, we've been able to walk right into that house. We've been able to hold his hand. Before that, we could only visit through a window. And that was very traumatic for him, by the way. With his Alzheimer's, he can't remember what happened 10 minutes ago, but he can remember that window. And it, 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 it was hor- it's a horrible memory for him. Uh, it, was, it, 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 it terrorized him. And um, he... Now we come in, we sit down, hold his hand, sing with him, pray with him, read the Bible with him, look at pictures, visit with him. Uh, it, you know, it's been a real blessing. So dad's 20 minutes away from us. My brother and his wife, their children have all left the house. You know, they're living in other places now, and they're looking around going, what are we doing here? So they sold. They've moved out here. Um, and, and, and actually, they're living on campus here right now while they're getting, you know, s- situated in the area. So we're all back here, and uh, Charlie and I got to talking, and that's how the podcast ministry started. I just, you know, the Lord had placed this on my heart. Something that had always been a concern of mine was, as we'd hear from alumni, that they were, so many were struggling with fitting back in after being here for a year. And we'd always struggled over, what do, we do, what do we do about this? Do we not do anything about this? You know, we don't want to get in the way. You know, I mean, this is only for a season. Being here is only for a season. So we don't want to become a crutch. But is there some kind of way we can encourage? And, you know, with 
technology now the way it is and the, and the new things are coming along. The Lord just laid this on my heart. And I was in um, Matthew in the, in the gospel in the, in, the, in the hotel room for people who don't know the area. Uh, with Charlie, I was here as a guest speaker that week, and I said, Charlie, this is my thoughts. These are my thoughts. How about we start a podcast ministry to encourage the alumni? And I barely had it out of my mouth, and Charlie said yes. And uh, so um, I am a board member at His Hill. Charlie, had, uh, Charlie and the board brought me on as a board member after leaving His Hill. So I've still been associated every year with what's going on, but now I'm back part-time staff, and in charge of this alumni ministry. And uh, it just ecstatic over it. You know, it's just the, the response that we've gotten from, from alumni and non-alumni has been in, very encouraging. It was, it, uh, people have said how it's been timely. Uh, and so, and we're looking at doing some other things with the podcast too. Maybe, uh, well, I shouldn't say yet. We need to wait and see what the Lord says before I start saying things like that. But we're, we're looking at, at doing some other things. And, uh, and just really excited to be a part of it again. Um, we have a family business, and uh, we're very busy with that. We're going into the fourth quarter right now, so we're extremely busy with that. But still, uh, there's you know there's the family works with me with this, and is very encouraging with you know wanting me to be involved with this. So uh, we're able to you know do both, and uh, and then people like you helping out like this. You know, like everybody's been very. You know, willing to you know give their testimonies, uh, sit and do an interview, give a devotion. So uh, you know that's what that's what's going on right now, and I'm just really thankful that the Lord's given us this opportunity, and uh, hearing from people from all over the world. You know, it's just you know what the Lord does with us, it blows my mind, and uh, so that's uh, kind of where that is. I will. Well, I, I know for myself, for, for Alina, for, for many people that I've talked to about the, the podcast, uh, I, I think I can speak for all of them and, and just say thank you uh, for mm-hmm. listening to the Lord and, and being willing to do something like this and uh, something that hasn't been done at the Hill. Uh, I, I don't know how much experience you have with podcasts or doing that sort of thing, but it's just been a real encouragement to hear uh, over and over and over that that Christ is our life mm. and, and it doesn't get old yeah uh, and and so thank you for that and thank you for for everyone that that's come on the, the podcast if you're listening uh, just to share Jesus with us and, yeah. and just how encouraging that's been yeah it has been encouragement for me too you know I to sit across the table and listen to people uh, you know it, you know people that I've known for years but I, I hear new things. And, uh, you know, wow, you know, I walk away from these interviews and from, and, and during the devotions, I'm, you know, I'm the one sitting at the controls while they're giving them, you know, I'm walking away thinking, man, this is, this is such a blessing. Um, and again, you know, hearing from people, alumni and non-alumni has been really encouraging too. Uh, and it's just always is to hear, you know, people responding to Jesus is an incredible thing. You know, the things that we're, we're experiencing in the world right now. You know, to, to, to be reminded to not be fixed on those things, to, but be fixed on Jesus. Only then can we deal with those other things. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why, the, 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 you know, we always end our podcast with, you know, reminding to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You know, that's, it, it's, that's, you know, that's something the Lord's placed in, in my heart that no matter what the situation is, we, we need to, we are to be fixed on Jesus. We were designed for this, and only then can we be of any good anywhere else. You know, only then can we handle anything else. If we're fixed on Jesus, you know, we're trusting the Lord with this and not ourselves. Well, Kelly, I think we've we've run out of time. Yeah, uh, we have. But I, I just want to say thank you so much for, for letting me do this and, and being here and just sharing, being open, being vulnerable, uh, and, and letting us know a little bit of what the Lord's done in your life uh, over these years and, and what he continues to do. And uh, I want to thank the listeners out there who have tuned in for this and uh, just encourage you guys, like Kelly said, uh, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. All right. Thank you. Thank you for this time, Kelly. We have a throwback Thursday coming for you alumni. We are hosting an upcoming podcast episode as a classic Charlie chat with our director soon and we'd love to hear from you all. 
Please send any questions you may have for the chat to Kelly at kelly at hishill.org. Non-alumni are welcome to submit questions as well. We look forward to hearing from you. Our annual Thanksgiving conference is coming up fast. We are full for meals and lodging, but sessions are still available. Please call our office at 830-995-3388 to register for sessions. Please pray for the conference that the guests would be encouraged in Christ throughout the week and what they hear and see in sessions and in our students and staff. If you cannot make it to the conference, you can still listen online to our speakers, Peter Reed and Zane Black, during the Thanksgiving week. Check out our website and Facebook page during the conference for live and recorded sessions. The Fall 2021 newsletter will be sent out soon. If you would like to sign up to receive the newsletter, please head on over to our website to sign up. Thank you again for tuning in to the His Hill podcast. You've been listening to our host, Kelly Doherty. If you would like to get in touch with Kelly, you can contact him by email at kelly at hishill.org. You can also keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook for more camp and Bible school updates. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ, alumni. I'm Lizzie. See you next time.